Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 148 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is TNC 148 for the week of November 24th. Before I get into news and notes, I want to give you guys your fee that I am charging you for this episode of The Neutral Corner. Guys, I want you to go over to iTunes. I'm going to post the link in a pinned comment on the YouTube, and I'll post it on the SoundCloud too for this episode. I want you to go over to iTunes, those of you who haven't yet, and leave a rating for the Neutral Corner Podcast. And of course, we'd appreciate five out of five stars. Right now, we have 93 ratings. I want to get that to over 100 by the end of the year, and we're running up on it. We only got, what, six more weeks to the end of the year. I need seven more ratings on my iTunes page. And I know it sounds silly, it doesn't sound like much, but getting that into triple digits, it makes a difference, right? It, it bumps me up on the searches. When people go to iTunes and they search boxing podcast or sports podcast, whatever, having triple digit ratings over double digit ratings, that bumps you up to the next level in the searches. So please go to iTunes. Even if you guys have already done it, those of you who have already done it, if you got any friends of yours that you know, go to iTunes and uh, listen to boxing podcasts or sports podcasts in general. Please share the word. Please spread or send out that link. Spread the word. Let people see it. Let people hear it. Try to get them to uh, to subscribe. At least, even if they don't want to subscribe, at least drop me a rating as a favor. Okay. Again, trying to get that iTunes page to over 100 ratings by the end of this year. <clears throat> we got seven more to go. So that is the fee for episode 148 of The Neutral Corner. Thank you very much, guys. By the way, happy Thanksgiving to those of you who are in the USA and celebrate that holiday. And I know there's a derivative of Thanksgiving in other parts of the world. Even if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving at all, I know it's an American holiday. Uh, you know, the holiday season is upon us and it is time to give thanks, to look back, to be reflective, to, you know, just be thankful for what we have in our lives. And guys, I am so thankful for all of you. I know it sounds corny. You know, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I really am truly thankful for all the support you guys give myself and Tiffany on this podcast. And those of you who just follow my work and you've, you just watch this whole thing grow over the, the last few years, I really am so thankful. I can't thank you guys enough. And of course, all of our Patreon supporters, I, I mean, just, I really truly do feel so thankful and like we are a boxing family. So I love you guys. I appreciate everything. I'm truly thankful for you. Let's get into news and notes. So PBC announces their schedule with Fox. Of course, you know, I talked about that big deal they just had with Fox, which is a great thing for boxing in America. They released their schedule over really the first two quarters um, of 2019. And it's some good, some not so great. I'll get into it in just a second. But real quick, uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter, I, I have a pinned tweet right now where I asked a question. I have a poll up. There's only three more days uh, left on this poll. I did it over the weekend. Serious question. 
When Anthony Joshua fights Jarrell Big Baby Miller in New York City next year, which is what I predict, I think they're going to fight next fall in New York, would a fight between Joshua and Miller in New York do a bigger crowd, whether it's in the city at, at the Garden or out in Brooklyn at Barclays, than Wilder Fury will do at Staples Center here in, uh, in America in a couple weeks in Los Angeles? So far, 60% of you agree with me. I, personally, I think that Joshua Miller in New York would do a bigger crowd in a bigger gate. And so far, 60% of you agree, but 40, actually 41% of you right now, just got an extra vote here, uh, thinks that Wilder Fury does more. So it's pretty close. But from what I'm hearing, ticket sales haven't exactly been spectacular at Staples Center for Wilder Fury. And you guys know, I've talked about just, just the way that that whole promotion's been handled. It's been quite lackluster. So get on Twitter and um, jump on that poll and give me your opinion. But okay, PBC schedule. So if you guys want me to do a really detailed video going over these fights specifically, you know, let me know. Uh, I call them rant videos, but just because it's a rant video doesn't mean that I'm necessarily being negative. So I guess I, I need to think of a new name for rant. I just call it rant videos because I just rant and rave, whether it's good stuff, bad stuff, whatever. You guys know my style. When I get going on a subject, I'll just rant. <laughs> it doesn't have to be negative though. I can do a rant video about something that I like. It can be positive. So I want you guys to understand that. But if you want to see a rant video on the PBC schedule, I can do that. It's just, you know, looking over so looking over the fights, okay, December 22nd, both Charlos are fighting at Barclays, one against uh, Willie Monroe Jr., one against Tony Harrison. So the fight, Charlo Monroe is going to be competitive. Monroe does know how to survive a little bit. He does have some good skills. He has some good stamina. I actually think that's not a bad fight. It's just not the fight that we need to see for, is that Jamal or Jamal? I, that's the, the middleweight fight. I think that's Jermel. I, I, I mix them up. But um, it's, it's the best opponent he's faced at 160, but it's not what we want to see, right? Still, decent fight. But the 54 fight, Charlo versus Harrison, you guys know how I feel about Tony Harrison. He's from my hometown, very good amateur, great fighter. You could, you could argue elite level fighter in the first five rounds of a boxing match, but dramatically tails off after that. And he's one of these guys that I've said it a thousand times, he's built for the amateur system. Maybe fought on too long in the amateurs. And I don't know, maybe he trains the same way now that he trained when he was an amateur. You have to completely change your training regime as a pro because you are training for 12 three minute rounds. And the level of stamina that it requires to do that is elite level. Elite level in terms of athletics. It is well beyond most other sports. Because, you know, look at American football. A play lasts eight seconds, and then you line back up and you have 45 seconds to, to get your next playoff. You look at the pace of baseball, you know, even basketball, maybe basketball stamina is the most equivalent in terms of American team sports to boxing. But even there, you're getting timeouts, you got teammates, you know, um, you, you, got, you got a little bit of a break going up and down the court. Boxing, man, just 12 rounds, it's crazy, the stamina. And Harrison just doesn't have it after five. So I think Charlo Harrison's going to end in a knockout. 
somewhere in the mid-late rounds. Charlo Monroe could go the distance, could or it could be a late TKO, but that's what I see there. Don't love it. That makes absolutely no sense being at Barclays. That card with both Charlos should be in Houston. I have no idea. I get it. They put it up in Barclays because of the money involved because they have that deal with the Barclays people. But man, put that fight up, put that card on in Houston. Build a freaking brand there with the Charlos. So, you know, look, man, a lot of people beat up on PBC. And I think some people cross the line and go a little too far where they're almost actively rooting against it. I'm not one of those guys, although I'm accused of it all the time by some people. PBC is kind of like, I'm struggling to find an exact metaphor here, but work with me. Say you have a family member, say you have a cousin that has so much potential. You got, say you've got a cousin that's a good looking kid. He's smart, he's talented. When he applies himself in school, he gets straight A's. When he applies himself in sports, he's a starter on the varsity team. But he screws up all the time. He, he brings home report cards with D's. He gets kicked off the team because he gets suspended for skipping school, for, I don't know, drinking, doing drugs, whatever. And he screwed up so many times that when he promises you, hey man, I'm going to get it together now, I'm taking this shit seriously, in the back of your mind you're thinking, all right, this looks good for two, three months. Let's see if he can keep it up for six months or a year. You know what I'm saying? You're skeptical because this family members let you down so many times. That's kind of the way a lot of boxing people look at PBC. And it's, it's again, it's not that other promoters don't jerk fans around and jerk media around in certain ways, but PBC just seems to do it more than the rest. And, you know, I could give a billion examples why, but this would turn into a five-hour long video. But I don't think I unfairly criticize PBC. I think I give them the right amount of criticism. So I like that the Charlos are fighting on the same card, but they're fighting in Brooklyn. They're two guys out of Houston, where there's a growing boxing market in that part of Texas. It makes no sense for them to fight in Brooklyn. Anyway, January 13th. Jose Uzcategui fighting Caleb Plant. That's on Fox Sports 1. Now, I like that fight. And that is a Fox Sports 1. That's a good Fox Sports 1 level fight. So, I like that fight a lot. And you have to favor Uzcategui to give Plant his first uh, loss. I think that's what we're going to see in that one. January 26, Keith Thurman fighting Jose Cito Lopez. So, does Jose Cito Lopez, on paper, does he have any business being in the ring with Keith Thurman? No. But Keith Thurman's been out of the ring for 14 years, you know? So, like, he's been so inactive and injured and playing flutes and, you know, playing with animals in the forest and shit for the last however many years. He needs a soft touch. Lopez is just tough enough to give him rounds. I wouldn't be surprised if that shit goes the distance. The best version of Keith Thurman would likely get Lopez out of there. That's probably going the distance. That's on Fox, regular Fox, and Keith Thurman is one of the biggest brands in PBC. So showcase fight for him to look good, get rounds in. But the next fight after that should be Thurman against Spence or somebody at that level. Unfortunately, it probably won't be. February 16th, Leo Santa Cruz versus Miguel Flores. Now, Leo Santa Cruz, one of the best brands that PBC has as well, but and this is on Fox. I get it. It's you know him against Flores. It's going to make for a competitive, fun fight where Leo's going to look good. 
But Leo Santa Cruz should either be fighting Carl Frampton for the third time, as he promised him he would when Frampton was so generous to give him a rematch after handing him his first pro loss, or Gary Russell Jr., who's not even on the freaking schedule, by the way. So I hate this fight. Leo Santa Cruz is beginning. Now look, he did fight Carl Frampton twice. I get it. But if you look at this dude's schedule over the last five years, he's had a very soft schedule. And PBC has the ability right now to unify titles in that division and really, really create a linear number one guy. Lineal, I should say. Number one guy at featherweight. And why aren't they doing it? So we should be seeing Leo Santa Cruz versus Gary Russell Jr. either in Los Angeles or in D.C. on February 16th. So, you know, I'm shitting on that fight. I'm going to go ahead and shit on it. February 23rd, Anthony Durrell versus Avni Yildirim on Fox Sports 1. That is a just not a good fight, and I'm not going to watch that. But it's on Fox Sports 1, not on regular Fox, so it makes sense where they put that fight. I get it. And you know what? They keep those. They keep Darrell busy. That's a winnable fight for him. March 9th, Sean Porter versus Yornigas Ugas. Um, I think I'll warm up to that fight more as it approaches. Style-wise, it, it, it just... My first impression is it's going to be ugly as hell. Ugly as hell, which a lot of Porter fights are. Although his last fight was pretty damn entertaining. And I got to say, he looked very, very smooth in it. But just style-wise, I see an ugly-ass fight that's not going to play well on Fox. But hopefully, we'll, I'll be proven wrong. Now, March 16th, Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia. And obviously, this is not regular Fox. This is pay-per-view. Does that fight belong on pay-per-view? Absolutely freaking not. Not that these two guys aren't great, elite-level, top 10, pound-for-pound-level fighters, because they are. But think about it this way, guys. What is Errol Spence's best victory? It's Kell Brook. And that was Kell Brook who had his face surgically reconstructed after Golovkin shattered it and had to move back. So it's coming off a loss from Golovkin, moving back down two weight classes. And halfway through that fight, Brook was winning. So... As great as Spence has looked, and he has other solid victories as well, like Peterson, he's got some solid wins. But his only like top, what I would call an elite level win, is Kell Brook. And again, he, he came from behind to win that fight. That's it. So is he at the level yet? Has he proved himself yet as a pay-per-view guy? No. And is, th is that fight at the end of the year when a, when a network budget is up or anything and you have to go to pay-per-view? No. It's in March. Now, Mikey Garcia has proven himself. He has, uh, for years, fought some good fights. Now, in recent years, it's been very, very selective matchmaking. But I think Garcia, over years now, has proven he's a top elite-level fighter. He truly, truly has. More than Spence has. But he's never once fought at welterweight. He's fought once at 140 against Sergey Lipinets, has never fought at welterweight. This is his first fight at welterweight where his record is 0-0. Zero and zero. And he, this is a pay-per-view level fight. This does not belong on pay-per-view. This is the type of fight where if you're trying to make a splash with your Fox you know, uh, deal, if you're PBC, you put this on regular Fox and you try to do ratings 
but they're, they're throwing this on pay-per-view. And a week before it, your lead-in card, you know, where you're going to promote this is Sean Porter versus Jordanis Ugas. Just not exactly the right way to go about things. Now, now again, this is where PBC pom-pom waivers are going to say, I'm hating. I'm not hating. I'm just telling you guys the damn truth. I'm warming up to this fight. I don't get it. And that's why part of me, again, thinks that Mikey Garcia just sees something in Errol Spence that he thinks he could take advantage of. And I'm starting to lean toward it being much more competitive than we all thought when it was first discussed. However, it doesn't belong on pay-per-view. The, the lead-in promotion a week before is going to be an ugly shit fight that a lot of people are not going to watch. I just, if this is a, you know, a brand new deal, right, and you're trying to make a splash, man, this, this fight belongs on regular Fox. It, it just does. So anyway, I like that matchup. It's just not being handled the right way, in my opinion. Again, I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope they do a better job promoting that fight than they have Wilder Fury, which has been a, a shit promotion. We'll see. March 24th, Mott Peterson, Sergey Lipinets on Fox Sports 1. Again, that is a very solid fight for Fox Sports 1. I mean, in my opinion, that fight, I think, is going to have some good action in it. It doesn't belong on regular Fox. It would maybe be a very good co-main on regular Fox or something. But I think for Fox Sports 1, that level of fight, man, that's good stuff. That's going to be a good fight. I'm very interested in that. Um, April 13th, Caleb Truax versus Peter Quillen. Not a very, very good fight. That's a way for Peter Quillen to get back in the win column, I, I feel. That's on Fox Sports 1. So that belongs over on Fox Sports 1. I kind of look at that like that Durrell, your Durham fight on Fox Sports 1. And then on Fox, we have, uh, I think later in April, Danny Garcia versus Adrian Granados. I get that fight. Both guys, you know, coming off L's, trying to get back in the, in the win column. Do You know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's a, a showcase fight for Danny Garcia to get back in the win column. Okay, so again... Some good, some not so good. Overall, I give that, you know, a B. That schedule is a B. You know, I, I, you could say C plus, B minus, somewhere in that range, you know, as far as the actual fights. Now, the timing and location of the fights, yeah, I'd, I'd say that some, the, overall the fights, I give it a B. But when you factor in the timing, the location, a pay-per-view that doesn't belong on pay-per-view, you know, the lead-in promotion for, for it, just all of that, then it drops down to a C. So I think B minus, C plus, somewhere in there, all right? That's how I feel about that PBC on Fox schedule. So other news this week, um, Diego De La Hoya missed weight, was supposed to fight in Mexicali, his hometown, last weekend in Mexico. And apparently he fainted, he collapsed trying to make weight, was hospitalized at the time I'm recording this, Still in the hospital, I believe. Still being taken care of. Not the first time this guy has missed weight. It's the second time. And um, he's 24 years old. Man, when you're missing weight, and it's not because he's drinking and partying and doing stuff in between fights like other guys have. It's because he can't make 122 no more. Now, his team released a statement saying they would consider moving up in weight. Consider? What the hell are you guys smoking? There's no consideration here. You gotta move up and wait. 
This kid could make 122 when he was 21, when he was 22 years old. He's 24 right now. He's approaching the mid-20s. Better move him up to 26 now because the damage he's doing to his body right now is going to take effect. You can do things to your body at 18, 19, 21 years old that you kind of rebound from very, very quickly. But you start hitting mid, late 20s, your body don't respond the same. By your 30s, it's a completely different ball game. So move up to 26 now and add a couple more years to your damn career, let alone life. Stop trying to kill yourself to make 22. It's obvious you can't. Wouldn't even surprise me if this kid has trouble making 26 very soon because of the damage he's done to his body the last couple years. Making weight is a big deal, guys. It's a big deal. And too many fighters kill themselves uh, basically having a fat camp before they even get in the ring. And that, that catches up with you real fast. So hopefully Diego De La Hoya's team does the right thing. They bump him up to featherweight. Obviously, there's some big, marketable fights for him at that weight. Okay, one last note, and I think I talked about this before. I just wanted to make sure. Gilberto Zerto Ramirez and Jesse Hart 2, the rematch. They've been talking about it, negotiating. It's official. Friday, December 14th, Corpus Christi, Texas, ESPN+. Plus. I like that fight. I'd rather it be on ESPN, but I don't give a shit because I got the ESPN Plus app. <laughs> so um, that's going to be a fun rematch. And let me tell you, Jesse Hart, in my opinion, has earned it. And he's got a lot of momentum going into this rematch. I think that's going to be fun. I think he is a very, very live dog in that fight. I really, really do. All right, guys, that's it for news and notes. It's a slow week. Hey, it's Thanksgiving, but we got a lot of stuff to review, so let's get to it. Friday, November 16th, we had some action all over the world. Let's start in Thailand, where the real TBE added to his legacy. Shiafan Moonsri improved to 52-0 with 18 knockouts. He beat an Indonesian cab driver who came in with a record of two wins, nine losses, and one draw. Now that is some TBE shit for your ass. <laughs> Shiafan Moonsri is the real TBE. You heard... Okay, here in America, <laughs> Michael Dutchover, uh, Thompson Boxing Card in Cali. Michael Dutchover is a 21-year-old lightweight from Texas. He improved to 12-0 with nine knockouts, scored a KO3 win in the headliner. In Kissimmee, Florida, a Puerto Rican, uh, out of the Bronx, but Puerto Rican native, Jonathan Gonzalez is a flyweight uh, prospect. I guess you'd call him contender. Improves to 22-2-1 with a TKO8 win. And also on that card, Antonio Vargas is an undefeated bantamweight fighter who now lives in Kissimmee. So he was fighting in his adopted hometown, originally from Houston. Fighting out of Kissimmee now in front of his hometown fans. He improved to 9-0, scoring a unanimous decision win in his first eight-rounder. And then in Philly... There was a showbox card that I completely forgot to preview in episode 147 of TNC. I'm sorry about that, guys. I completely glanced over this showbox card because it features one of the, definitely the best prospect out of Philly right now, but one of the better young American prospects at the 2300 Arena in Philly, Jerron Ennis. Jerron Ennis, out of Philly, fighting in his hometown, 
undefeated welterweight. He's 21 years old, improved to 22-0 with 20 knockouts with a KO2 win over a fellow Philly fighter, Raymond Serrano. So for those of you who don't know anything about Jerron, again, out of Philly, only 21 years old, had a good regional amateur career here in the USA. Uh, Golden Gloves gold in 2015, Golden Gloves silver in 2014. He was the USA Youth National Champion in 2015. Lost the Olympic qualifier to go to Rio to Gary Antoine Russell, one of the 47 Russell brothers that are in the boxing. Um, so, you know, just barely missed the Olympics uh, representing the USA. So good quality amateur, looks good so far as a pro, moving fast, and looked really, really sharp headlining that Showbox card Friday night. The biggest card, though, Friday was at the Chesapeake Energy Arena in OKC, and this was top rank on ESPN. In the main event, Maurice Hooker scores a TKO 7 win over Alex Saucedo, gets up off the canvas to do it, and this was the first defense of his WBO 140-pound title. So you guys remember my preview for this fight. Um, I talked about the fact that you know Hooker has had some legal issues, He's had some personal life issues, stuff going on. By the way, I didn't realize this guy had eight kids. Eight kids. Somebody, somebody give that man a condom. That's just too many, bro. That's way too many. Although he did make a career high payday in this fight. He made over a million dollars. So that's going to help those kids eat. Uh, anyway, with all the issues he had outside the ring, and then him traveling from Dallas to OKC, fighting in Saucedo's hometown in front of the hometown fans. You know, I just, I leaned towards Saucedo in this fight, just, just out of the momentum and everything else. And I knew it would be tough and competitive, but I just thought Saucedo would just kind of muscle and grit out a win. That's how I thought. However, it looked early on, that's the way it looked, right? The first round was close, the second round was close, and Saucedo timed Hooker, who was throwing punches off the back foot. He was kind of pity-patting with his punches early on. He threw over 100 punches in the first round, but there was no, no power to any of them. Saucedo was just walking through him, and he caught him with a counter right hand that dropped him at the end of the second round. So it looked for a while like I was a freaking genius, like my prediction was coming to fruition. But what does Hooker do? He gets up off the canvas and says, all right, I got to start putting some stank on these damn punches. And that's exactly what he started doing. He was moving a lot, of course. Not running, moving a lot laterally, uh, just much better footwork, crazy length. I think they were saying on the ESPN broadcast that he, uh, Hooker's reach is the same that Vladimir Klitschko had. I mean, think about that for a second. This dude's arms... His knuckles almost drag on the ground when he walks. He has crazy long arms. And he was just jabbing the shit out of Saucedo. But then what he started doing after that knockdown, from the third round on, is putting some nice right hands behind it. And there was a, a sequence, I can't remember which round it was, where he landed like three or four straight one-twos in the center of the ring. Perfectly straight one-twos. Boom, 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 boom. And Saucedo was just pushed back and had no answer. Once Hooker started putting some muscle into his punches, and he, was, he had a high work rate throughout, but he, he wasn't throwing 100 punches around like he did in the first. He, he 
lowered the work rate just a little bit and put more muscle on the punches, he started to get a, a much better response. And he found a great rhythm, fourth, fifth round. And Saucedo just had no answers. And I remember tweeting out during the fight, somewhere at that point of fight, fourth, fifth round, like, Hooker could do this shit all night. He could do what he's doing right now for 20, 30 rounds. It's up to Saucedo to find a new level. Well, we found out Saucedo just doesn't have that level. Hooker kept teeing off on him, um, drops him in the seventh round, and gets him out of there. I'm surprised Saucedo took so many big right hands. Because for a couple rounds there, I was like, man, this guy, he's taking these flush. They're snapping his head back. They're physically pushing his whole body back. You know, because a taller guy with longer arms punching with leverage, just connecting with right hand after right hand. I'm like, how long can this dude take these? And boom, the writing was on the wall. He's out of there in the seventh. Hooker looked really, really good here. Again, I think he made like 1.2 million to Saucedo's 400,000. Promoter top rank did everything they could for Saucedo. They got the, they won the purse bid. They brought the fight to to uh, to OKC. You know, for Hooker and his team, it was worth it because of the payday they were getting and the exposure. But in the end, skills pay the bills, and you know, class reveals itself. And Hooker's just a class above at this weight class. So um, Jose Carlos Ramirez was ringside. No doubt top rank wanted to see Saucedo win so they can match Saucedo and Ramirez. That would have been big for them. Hooker wins. Can we see Hooker versus Saucedo? Or I'm sorry, Hooker versus Ramirez now. I don't know about that. I hope so. I tweeted out about it right after the fight. And just to clear up something, I, I added um, all the promoters involved. And for Hooker... I know that he was with Rock Nation. I think that Rock Nation still has options on him because they were part of the promotion for this fight, with the Saucedo fight. But of course, Eddie Hearn just signed him. So part of that means he's a fighter for the zone. But, you know, it, it all depends on who wins purse bids. And now that's why this fight ultimately went to ESPN. Had uh, Eddie Hearn and his people at Hooker's side won the purse bid, this fight probably would have been on the zone. But um, how does that work with a unification fight? Well, I think all bets are off. I mean, it's really up to the promoters of what they want to do. Saucedo or Hooker could fight on ESPN again if that's what him and his team wanted to do. So it's up to him, Hearn. I, I believe the Rock Nation people are not running the show right now. It's Hearn. I, like I said, I think they just have options. But um, if Hearn and Bob Arum were able to sit down and talk and chop things up and they decided that it made more sense to go to ESPN, there's no reason why we couldn't see Ramirez and Hooker on ESPN. And that's why when I tweeted that out, I added ESPN in my tweet. I should have added DAZN as well. But um, to me, I just think money-wise, exposure-wise, all of it, do it on ESPN. And for Hooker, he's out of Dallas, but he has not much of a fan base there. His promoters did not build him up there. Uh, he was fighting on a lot of Rock Nation cards. I remember he was on the Kovalev Ward 1 card. I do, I believe it was the first one. And he absolutely got a gift. The, I, I can't remember who he fought, but that dude got robbed. Hooker 
really got the benefit of the doubt from, uh, from the judges that night. But that was in Vegas, right, which is fine. He's fighting in Vegas at that time. That's fine. But Rock Nation did not build him up in Dallas. So there's no fan base for him there. So there's a huge fan base for Ramirez in Northern California. I'd love to see if that fight be worked out. And maybe part of the deal is, you know, again, you pay Hooker. You pay him a lot to, to go up to Fresno and to fight on ESPN if you're top rank and try to unify, unify those titles. But either way, for Saucedo, back to the drawing board, but he, I just don't think he's at that top level. I just, you know, again, his promoter did very, very well for him. I still think he has a brand there in OKC, but he's got to go back to the drawing board. The guy has zero head movement. His defense, even something as simple as just keeping your damn hands up and doing that uh, robot shit where you just stand there with your hands up doing the, the earmuffs. With that. He doesn't even do that well. So they really got to work on defense for him. He's been compared to Arturo Gatti, but he's nowhere near Arturo Gatti's level at this point. Remember, guys, Gatti, I think it was at like 130, he was considered a top-level fighter there. Now, once he moved up to 140, 147, uh, you know, he was more of a, a brawler. He was higher than a club-level fighter, but he wasn't elite. But Gatti, at one point, at, at the lower weight classes, was really considered a true talent. And Saucedo's not even on that, that level. So in terms of being entertaining, sure. But I look at Saucedo, and I don't even see a Brandon Bam Bam Rios level guy there. I just don't see it. Also on this card, Igadigis Kavliowskis improves to 21-0 with 17 knockouts. Scores a KO3 win over the Nicaraguan Roberto Aliaza. Wins the minor, a minor chunk of the WBO title of some international title or something. That lines him up in terms of the ratings to face Terrence Crawford next. So I think we should fully expect next uh, spring, I guess, you know, early spring or something, to see Crawford and Kavliowskis in Omaha or something like that. And I think that that would be a good ESPN fight for top rank. And the mean machine has earned it. Look, I thought, you guys remember in the preview, I thought that this fight would steal the show. It didn't. It, it was over in three rounds. I was surprised at how easily, seemingly easy, the Mean Machine was able to topple this undefeated Nicaraguan who was taller, longer, and came in undefeated. Both these guys had O's. But, you know, upon further review, when you look at these guys, their, uh, their resumes... The Mean Machine has faced much better opposition than Aliaza, who really hadn't fought a top-level guy at any point in his career. So, again, class reveals itself, and sometimes resumes reveal themselves when two guys with O's get in the ring and, and square off. Okay, so that was Friday night. Saturday night, we had some action in Kansas at the Kansas Star Arena in Mulvane. And, of course, this was on DAZN. Pretty loaded card, uh, not very competitive fights, but a lot of names, a lot of talent for boxing diehards. So let's start with flyweight action. Nico Hernandez, who won the bronze medal for America in 2016 in Rio in the Olympics, uh, stays undefeated. He's 6-0 with four knockouts, scores a unanimous decision win in eight rounds. Indiana, 
Light heavyweight prospect Anthony Sims Jr. improved to 17-0 with 16 knockouts, scored a TKO 2 win, looked good doing it. Female fights, Claressa Shields defended two of her middleweight titles. I think this was a defense of her IBF and WBA middleweight titles. Also claims the vacant WBC middleweight title that I think was stripped from uh, Hammer, who's been inactive because she has some uh, illness injury stuff she's working out. So grabs three titles with the unanimous decision win over, over Scottish fighter Hannah Rankin, who I don't quite understand why she was in this title fight. Uh, Rankin was 5-2 and two coming in and had lost her very last fight in August. So she was coming off a loss straight into a title fight. I don't get it. Either way, Shields improves to 7-0 with two knockouts. And the two knockouts are a little misleading. They were TKO stoppage wins with, I think, the fighter pinned on the ropes, her opponent. Shields, is, to my memory, correct me if I'm wrong, she has not scored a knockdown yet as a pro. So right after this fight, <clears throat> I tweeted that uh, you know, I would love to see Cecilia Brekus and Clarissa Shields fight at 154 pounds. Of course, Brekus is at 147 and Shields is at 160. And Shields has mentioned, I think the DAZN guys were talking to her after the fight, and she was, you know, they were asking her about that fight. And she was saying, you know, she could try to move down to 54 for that fight. You know, I take back that tweet. Would I love to see that fight? Of course I would. But does Brekus really have anything to prove? Does she need that fight? No. Is it like there's this huge financial incentive? Is that like a million-dollar baby kind of fight? No. Clarissa Shields brings absolutely nothing to the table unless you want those titles. And I still think we're going to see Shields and Hammer fight next year to completely solidify, unify the middleweight division. Maybe at that point she becomes more marketable. I don't know. But for Cecilia Brekus, she is the most accomplished female fighter in the world right now. She's finally getting a little bit of uh, love here in the States. But when I look at her, her career, she's never had a signature fight. There, there hasn't been another female fighter in and around her weight class to really, really be that marquee fight that she's remembered for. So that is why originally I thought, you know what, man, move up and wait. Challenge Clarissa Shields. Because in terms of boxing craft and ability, Brekus would box the shit out of her. She'd completely outbox her. She just have to worry about the weight and the power. And we have seen her dropped, right? So, um, you know, that would be the concern. But I was just thinking, you know, that would be the way for her to go out. You know, you take a huge challenge like that. You become the middleweight champion of the world, or actually you defeat the middleweight champion of the world because it'd be at 154, junior middleweight. I'm sure some junior middleweight title would be put on the line. So, you know, that would just be the signature fight for her. But I'm thinking... It'd be kind of unfair because, again, there's no money in it for her. Clarissa Shields isn't a brand, isn't a name. So it still wouldn't – boxing diehards would see that as this premier signature fight for her. But globally, nobody gives a shit. So I take that tweet back. For Shields, you know, she's got to prove herself. Yes, she's won titles at 168 and now 160. But she still hasn't scored a knockdown yet as a pro. She hasn't fought a highly rated type of fighter yet. 
So a win over Hammer would give her that and get her started, but she still needs to prove herself. Now also on this card, Brandon Rios, who's originally from Kansas, just as Nico Hernandez is, um, scores a TKO 9 win over a Mexican fighter, uh, fighting his first time outside of Mexico. So some people are saying, man, Brandon Rios is back, and this was such a great action fight. And, but the guy that he was fighting was made to order. Rios, you know, has just, he's forgotten more about boxing than most people will ever know. He sparred thousands and thousands around. So his, his uh, reflexes and everything are dulled, but just his instincts, his fighter instincts against guys at this level, it's still enough to get it done. And it was a great quality win for him. But do I want to see Brandon Rios anywhere near a title shot again? No. This dude has already done irrevocable damage to his health. He's going to struggle later in life. I've seen the signs of it already. I wish he'd retire. I know he's not going to. In a recent interview, he says he wants to fight for like three or four more years. That's insane. But against this level of opposition, I'm cool with it if that's what he wants to do. Also on this card, a little bit of controversy. Gabriel Rosado and Luis Arias fight to a split draw. One judge has it 114-114, and one judge has it 112-116 one way. The other had it the same score the other way. So a lot of people on social media felt that Gabriel Rosado deserved to win this fight. A lot of the media people I've talked to feel that a draw was okay. They were cool with the draw. I think why a lot of fans and some media who felt Rosado should have got the, the W, why they feel that way is because of past scores that, you know, in close fights that went against Rosado. It's kind of what I, you know, what I can refer to as the Canelo Triple G effect, where so many people in that rematch were crying robbery. It wasn't a robbery that Canelo got the win, but combined with what had happened in the first fight, which was a robbery, there's that residual layover and people start to kind of feel for Triple G. You could say the same thing about Kovalev and Ward and several other fights in recent years. So because so many close fights Rosado has been involved in have not gone his way, you have a situation like this where the fight really kind of looked like a draw. You can absolutely make an argument that Rosado eked out a win here, uh, but I think a draw is okay. You know, I didn't think it was a robbery that they had a draw, but because Rosado has kind of been screwed over before, there's that residual hangover, and people just are like, man, again, this dude, you know, why can't one of these close fights just go his way? So I think that's what a lot of people are feeling. But if you felt Rosado eked out this win, I ain't mad at you at all. I can absolutely see that. The one judge who had a 116-112 for Arias, that's just a little too much in my opinion. I don't see how you have Arias winning eight rounds in this fight. By the way, I didn't see Rosado win eight rounds in this fight. You know, 7-5 I can deal with, but 8-4, I don't know. And that's why when I look at these scores and you have... One judge going 8-4 one way, the other judge 8-4 the other way. And that's four-point four difference, right? What are these judges looking at where they're getting that different of a score, where the, where the scores are that varied? In boxing, you have scoring criteria, right? Effective aggression, clean punching, ring generalship, defense, 
And it's not like one judge focuses on one thing and another judge focuses on another thing. They're all supposed to score with the same criteria. So when you have scores vary that widely, that tells me that you have an issue with the training you're giving your judges. And you need to get your judges together more, talking more about what they're scoring. Because obviously, two of these three judges were scoring just with different criteria. They were looking at different things. So I think that's one thing that the commissions can do a better job of. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission is the lead commission, right, in the sport. They're supposed to dictate the terms for everybody else. And then I'd say California is right behind them as, as the most influential uh, commission. And I just think that they need to do a better job with the uh, the dialogue they're having with judges and officials where, all right, guys, here's the scoring criteria. Here's the order of importance. Here's what you should be looking at when you score around so that you're kind of on the same page. You shouldn't see scores vary like this in a fight. You just shouldn't see that. It tells me that the judges, look, are the judges going to see it exactly the same? Hell no. And that's why the one guy who had at 114-114, he's in the wheelhouse. You can be, you know, if you have variances of two or three points, yeah, that's fine. But when, you're, when you have way, way wide, where again, 8-4 one way, 8-4 the other way, what are these two guys seeing that's so different in the same fight? That's concerning to me. Anyway, those two fight to a draw. Personally, I was cool with the draw. Main, <clears throat> main event, Jarrell Big Baby Miller improves to 23-0-1 and 20 knockouts with a KO4 win over a Romanian fighter, Bogdan Dinu, who apparently is basically a part-time uh, boxer. You know, he's a good enough athlete where he can do this part-time and be competitive, which is good for him. But uh, he gets dropped twice in the fourth round. And really, you know, I thought he won the first two rounds, just moving and jabbing. But kind of like, you know, I, I go back to that hooker Saucedo fight. Once Hooker got dropped, he was able to change and, and raise his game and, and find a new level. And Dinu just didn't have that. So after the first two rounds where he won, um, Miller just kept doing what he does. He comes in on you, imposes his will with his weight, and he kind of, even when you land shots, he rolls with them well, he moves with them well where he's able to absorb them and it doesn't really back him up. He can absorb a punch and keep rolling downhill. So after a while, that pressure gets to you. And as a fighter who doesn't have an extra level, which Dinu obviously doesn't, that pressure starts to wear on you. And after a while, you're just like, what do I have to do to get this guy off of me? What I found interesting is once Miller landed some combinations in the fourth round, Dinu immediately folded. And it was, it was interesting because I didn't see a huge flush punch from Miller like snap Dinu's head back. I saw some combinations land, but Dinu saw the punches coming. He was looking right at Miller when they landed. He just folded. And it's just, it almost, it looked like a guy who had never been hit before. Just the way Dinu kind of reacted. It was very interesting to see that. It almost looked like a guy who hadn't sparred. Just the way he reacted to getting punched. But anyway, um... You know, so Miller, you know, I've been talking about him with the Anthony Joshua sweepstakes. I still think that the plan there with Eddie Hearn, think about it this way, guys. If you're Eddie Hearn in your match room, 
why sign Big Baby Miller if he's not in your plans, right? Obviously, they want Anthony Joshua to fight Miller. And Joshua has a date open for, um, for next April over in the UK against TBA right now. But I don't think they fight Miller in April. Because why would you sign this guy from New York if your plan is to originally, or eventually, I should say, bring AJ to the United States and build his brand over here? Miller is the perfect guy to do it against in New York. What I think we're going to see, and this is just me putting my promoter cap on, I could be totally wrong. What I think we're going to see is in April, perhaps Big Baby Miller fights on the, in the co-main in April. AJ is going to fight somebody. Let's just say Pulev right now. Let's say he fights Pulev next April. And in the co-main, Big Baby Miller fights the winner between uh, White and Chisora, their rematch that's coming up. That makes total sense. I'm not convinced Miller beats White or Chisora. I, I would favor him to, but he's going to have to be in a little bit better shape to win that fight. But that really, really promotes you know, a fight down the line next fall for AJ and Big Baby. And I think it makes sense next fall in New York, in the Garden. Deontay Wilder, of course, would be ringside. It would introduce Joshua to the American fans. And it just makes sense to set up AJ Wilder, the first fight in 2020. That is the way I would do that business. We shall see. All right, not a whole lot going on this weekend, but we do have some action to preview, so let's get to it. Friday, November 23rd, there is a Telemundo card from Mexico City. Uh, in the main event, 10 rounds, flyweights, Ganigan Lopez versus Ricardo Rodriguez. Saturday, November 24th, a matchroom card on the zone from the Casino de Monte Carlo Salle Medicine in Monte Carlo, Monaco. In the main event, Khalid Yafai going up against Mexican Israel Gonzalez. This is the fourth defense of Yafai's WBA Super Flyweight title. He, of course, is undefeated, putting that O on the line, 24-0 with 15 knockouts. Also on that card, Dennis Lebedev, Frank Bullioni, Michael Hunter, and undefeated Southpaw welterweight prospect out of Kazakhstan, now fights and trains uh, out of Brooklyn, Daniar Yeliusinov. So all that action will be on the zone because remember, they air every damn fight. Also Saturday, here in the USA at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, it is a main events card on HBO. HBO. Dimitri Bevel, 14-0, going up against Jean Pascal for the third defense of his WBA light heavyweight title. Pascal, 36 years old, but in boxing years, probably in his 40s. You know what I'm saying? He's been in some, some rough, knockdown, drag him out fights. But you think about it, Pascal has only been stopped by one man, and that man is Sergei Kovalev. Remember, uh, Pascal fought Eladir Alvarez, who just stopped Kovalev, and they fought to, I think, uh, it might have been a majority, what was it? You know what, I'm gonna look it up while I'm recording this, because um, I know that fight was close. I'm going to box rec right now, live, as I film this. It was a 
Yeah, majority decision win for Alvarez. You know what? I'm actually looking at this. That should have been an unanimous decision win. Now I remember that fight. Either way, though, went the distance with him. Of course, went the distance twice with Hopkins, who didn't have power at light heavyweight. Fought some other good guy, Carl Frotch, right? The only guy who has stopped Pascal is Kovalev. So Bevel, I think, will blitzkrieg Pascal and just plow through him um, and probably stop him. And he will be the only guy, along with fellow Russian Sergei Kovalev, to officially stop Pascal. I hope Pascal retires after this. Dude, why are you still fighting? This is, you know, I get it. You're going for the title one last time here. All right, cool. You're making some money. One last title shot. If he gets knocked out here, it's time to hang him up. Now, those of you thinking that this is a second or third round knockout, I don't know about that. I think Pascal has enough craft and knows how to survive, where I actually think this will go rounds. It'll go at least to the middle rounds. But I expect a mid to late round stoppage win for Bevel. Originally, Tiffany and I were gonna travel up to AC and cover this card for Ring Magazine. But uh, just with, we have some, some family stuff going on that's keeping us down here, and some work-related stuff, and the house, all that that's keeping us down here. So. Um, for those of you who are going to be at that fight live, sorry, you know, we were going to try to get up there and cover that live. It would have been cool to, to meet some of you guys and have some drinks. But uh, I've talked to Bevel's people, and no doubt Bevel will be back up there in either AC or New York uh, early next, next year in the spring. So we'll be up there to cover one of those cards. I haven't covered a card in AC yet. AC is back on the boxing map. They're making a big, big push to get back into boxing in a big way. There's gonna be plenty of cards up there next year. So we'll see you guys then. Also on this card, uh, Russian heavyweight Sergei Kuzmin, who is a stablemate of Bevel, 13-0, 10 knockouts. <clears throat> very, very good amateur career. 227 and 23 as an amateur. A lot of amateur fights. Going up against California Southpaw, Laron Mitchell, who is 16-1. and And both of these guys are six foot four. This is for a minor WBA heavyweight title. And on this card, there's several other European or Eastern European prospects. A few Andrew or Andre Rabinsky guys on the undercard. So um, I'm not sure, you know, hopefully they stream some of that. Because I think all HBO is going to show is the main event. Hopefully it's not on at freaking midnight here in the, on the East Coast. Some of these cards have been on way too late. But... Um, that's it for this weekend, guys. So remember your fee uh, this week. Please go over to iTunes. Let's get the number of customer ratings to over 100. That is the goal. Guys, I'm very, very thankful for all of you. Have a good Thanksgiving. Be safe. Eat a ton of food. It's a cheat day. Eat whatever the hell you want. Just get your ass back in the gym this weekend, all right? See you at the fights.